I'm Deetra. I'm Chelsea. And we're giving you a million murders. Thanksgiving bonus. Thanksgiving to happy those Thanksgiving. who celebrate it. Happy, happy Thanksgiving. Yes, so. Christmas is coming. Yep, Christmas is coming up. And you mm-hmm. all may be getting some, you know. Extra. S- some seasonal bonus. <laughs> bonuses. Um, so, yeah, we hope you all are enjoying time with your family. Getting if, full. Yes. Of wonderful food. Yes, because I am. Dressing. I'll tell you right now. It's about to go down. Yeah. It's like two or three weeks away. I've been dieting since May and it's about to go down. It's about to happen. Uh, I can't wait. Mm. I know I'm eating so well Mm -hmm. right now. Like I'm eating. I'm throwing down as this. Well, actually not as this comes out because it'll be like midnight on Thursday. Yeah. But just know when you're listening to this, I'm getting ready to eat (laughs) or I am eating something delicious and i hope you are too if you celebrate thanksgiving because people in canada Mm -hmm. don't you know this is just an american holiday really um but they have something like that so anyway um yeah this is our thanksgiving bonus episode Mm -hmm. uh i'm gonna go first and my portion of the episode is coming from a story that was told every year at a family's thanksgiving dinner Mm -hmm. okay get ready So, twins, Bill and Frank Watson's grandfather, would tell a creepy ghost story every year about 57 Irish immigrants who would meet their demise at a railroad site in Pennsylvania during the cholera epidemic in 1832. Hmm. So, for those who don't know, cholera is a bacterial disease that causes diarrhea and dehydration and is usually spread in water. Hmm. So, it's like bad drinking water, you get it. It's a situation. It was very deadly. It was a problem uh, back then. So, the area this was supposed to have taken place in is now known as Duffy's Cut and is in Malvern, Massachusetts. Um, Duffy's Cut is a stretch of railroad that runs about 30 miles west of Philadelphia and was ran by a man named Philip Duffy. Well, Bill and Grink's Bill and Grink's grandfather. Bill and Frank's <laughs> grandfather was a railroad worker. And as they got older, they wondered if the rail workers really died from cholera. Oh, Lord. From cholera or from something more sinister. So the story goes that a man walking home from a tavern started seeing people dancing in the mist. Not in the midst. In the mist. In the mist. <laughs> on a warm night back in the early 1900s. The man... St- Stated, I saw with my own eyes the ghost of the Irishman who died with the cholera a month ago, a dancing around the big trench where they were buried. It's true, mister. It was awful. Why, they looked as if they were a kind of green and blue fire, and they were a hopping and bopping on their graves. I heard the Irishmen were haunting the place because they were buried without the benefit of clergy. Hmm. So like a proper burial. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're Irish or Catholic back then mm-hmm. and so there's you know a whole proper burial that you're supposed to go through so they thought these people were haunting the place because they didn't get that 
So this is documented, this whole story, mm-hmm. in a file that was kept by the Pennsylvania Railroad, which is who eventually owned this stretch of railroad. Uh, Frank inherited the file from his grandfather's old railroad papers. At this point, they begin to believe ghost stories were real. You know, these ghost, this ghost story was actually real. Mm-hmm. And they also suspected there could be a mass grave and the clues to find it within the files. So now they're on like a mission. They're on the scene. They're on the case. They're here to solve the mystery. Because yeah, their grandpa's been telling this story about this man who saw the ghosts mm-hmm. of the Irishman and all this stuff. And they're like, mm, this ghost story could be real. Cause, so they're like a little paranormal. You know, they feeling it. And then they're like, there's probably a mass grave where all these men were just thrown in there and buried. So yeah. they're going to figure it out. So one of the pieces of correspondence in this file told us X marks the spot, said Frank. Hmm. He added that the document suggested that the men were buried where they were making the fill, which is the original railroad bridge. Mm-hmm. So in 2002, the, brother, the, brothers, <laughs> the brothers started to search and dig around the area. They started finding forks and tobacco. Oh, my gosh. They started finding forks and tobacco pipe shards. They knew hardworking laborers wouldn't just discard things like that. Yeah. You know, so they were considered to be valuable things at that point. So in 2005, they find a pipe with an Irish flag on it, drawing them close to the conclusion that people of Irish descent were truly buried in the area. They needed substantial proof, and that's where Tim Bechtel, a geophysicist, comes in. He heard about the project from a colleague. 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 <laughs> he heard the pro- about the project from a colleague at UPenn who had heard the Watson brothers speak. And the friend knew that Bechtel could help with the excavation process. So, like, now, you know, they're talking to people. People are hearing about this. They're like, oh, I know just the person for this Mm -hmm. who could help so that's how Bechtel gets on the scene so Bechtel started working on earth scans that could help discover what is underground without having to dig or drill the area he learned that there were oddball areas as he called them or places where the electrical current that was shooting through the slope wouldn't pass during through during the scans so these earth scans shoot electrical current through Mm -hmm. the ground and it kind of gives you like a scene but there were parts where the current couldn't get through as if like something was down there there. Mm -hmm. so we saw areas in the slope that were very electrically resistant said Bechtel or Bechtel said this was the first sign there was something buried beneath the surface after digging a little deeper, Bechtel and the Watson twins found air bubbles above the coffins, he said. They pinpointed a few areas they should keep in mind. You know, they're like, okay, we're going to, we need to dig here, we need to dig here, we need to dig here. Yeah. March 20th, 2009, the digging is ongoing, and the team made a startling discovery. One of Bechtel's students ran over to him saying they discovered human bones near a grove of trees behind a housing development. This was just the beginning. The pieces of bone made them suspect that cholera wasn't responsible for the deaths of these men. Hmm. 
they went on to find over 80 human bones. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot of bones. It is a lot of bones. So, like, what's going on here? You know, it's... It don't sound like the cholera Mm -mm. is what happened to some of these people. So, Janet Mong, an anthropologist, said a teeny-weeny little fragment like that is so chock full of information um you know so just these fragments of bones can tell you all kinds of things she believed the teeth because of their irregular irregularities could be linked to their living relatives through dna so yeah so this what they found was like a jaw i think But, you know, they went over to find 80 more bones. So this could be any of the bones they found. But she's saying that, you know, they probably, because of their irregularities, could be linked to living people, you know, ancestors, descendants, descendants. Descendants. Uh, So they started gathering students to separate the animal bones from human bones. All of the remains then went to archaeological experts and were sent to UPenn, University of Pennsylvania, um, which is where... Betsy Ardsma went to school. The girl who was murdered in the library. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Over the next two years, the team unearthed six more sets of skeletal remains. They also found evidence of a seventh under a tree, but delayed excavating it to make sure the remains were preserved. Mm. So they found the 80 bones. They've also found full sets of skeletal remains at this point. So July of 2011, the team found a bone fused with the tree roots. The tree had fed off the human remains over the years. So like, turn it to a tree. (laughs) Yeah, like your body is a part of like a tree now. Like your bone is literally fused to a tree. Um, Which you know, trees will go grow through anything. Something's in the way; it'll just grow right through. But um, I thought that was really interesting, and the weight paid off because you know they were waiting mm-hmm. they didn't want to mess anything up because they were about to because they were able to dig without damaging any of their remains back at UPenn, dr mong the anthropologist was able to determine that three of the seven sets of remains had evidence of blunt force trauma oh, wow okay no bueno yeah so they were treated terribly due to the irish prejudice at the time but it was one of the only ways at the time to leave poverty-stricken Ireland. The immigrants were working long hours with little pay. So, like, they're leaving Ireland because it's poverty-stricken. They need somewhere to go. And so they move to America, and then they're treated like crap. And they're, like, making them do hard labor for virtually no money at all. Mm-hmm. Okay? Uh, so the team assumed... That some of the immigrants escaped the quarantine at the shanty town built for them. Uh, they were told they were not allowed to leave this area and were slaughtered for trying to leave. So they're like, okay, because they literally told them, you can't leave. And people tried to leave. And so they think they just killed them. That's sad. Yeah, because they were re- then seemingly returned to the shanty town. In nailed coffins to avoid a riot among the remaining immigrants. So these shanty towns are just like shack areas mm-hmm. that they'll just build. They were really common, like back in like the Dust Bowl era of mm-hmm. the Great Depression, all that stuff. Like shanty towns were a big thing 
and also back then as well. So within two and a half weeks of their arrival, all 57 of the men were dead. So like 57 immigrants, two weeks after they get to this railroad, they're all dead. Cholera probably did hit the shantytown, but when they tried to leave, they were forced into quarantine due to the prejudice and to prevent it from spreading. So they're like, we don't want you leaving and coming into our town because you're Irish and you're not good enough, basically. Also, like, we don't want you to spread it. So, you know, as we all know now, quarantining is a very normal thing. We've been doing it for hundreds of years, as Mm -hmm. we can see. But also, these people did not want them to even be joined in their community because they're Irish. So. Yeah, it's dumb. Just like all prejudice. I'm Irish. Yeah. You are Irish. Yeah. I mean, it's... Come at me, bro. You know. Yeah. Back then, like, I don't know what you had to be to be in, but you couldn't be Italian. You couldn't be Irish. I mean, there's stuff that you can't be now. Oh, well, it's yeah. But back then, it was be like, something. Back then, like, not everybody were just like white people like it seemingly is now in the U.S. Like, people are proud of their heritage here. Yeah. But back then, it was like, oh, you're Irish? No, because everybody were, they were immigrants. So, you know, early stages of America, you come from Italy, you're Italian. Like, you're, you know, you're not just a white person and everything's cool. It's like, you're Italian, you're trash. You're yeah. Irish, you're trash. And it doesn't make any sense yeah, to me. I don't understand I don't... what it mattered. And who was, who were the good people? Yeah. The English? I, I'm confused. So anyway, you know, all that's going on. It's a hot mess. Um, But yeah, so none of the workers would ever leave Duffy's Cut again. So these people came here. Some of them got cholera. Some of them tried to leave. They were brutally murdered and brought back. And then just all buried in a mass grave. Which is horrific. They just buried them and was like, eh, just sweep that under the rug. So, in February 2011, a forensic dentist began testing one of the sets where a strange dental anomaly was found. It was a defect in the upper right molar that occurs in about 1 in 100,000 people, Hmm. a feature that is exceptionally rare, apparently. They were able to find, they were able to take DNA blood samples from residents in Ireland, and he was able to identify the remains. They were the remains of an 18-year-old named John Ruddy. Hmm. Yeah. The bodies were ceremoniously laid to rest at West Laurel Cemetery in Balakinwood in March of 2012. Now, Balakinwood is in Pennsylvania. And some of our listeners will know about Balakinwood from Tu Wong Fu, where Vita Bo M grew up. Tu Wong Fu is a... Have you seen Tu Wong Fu? Hmm, I don't think so. We're going to watch it. Okay. (coughs) It's like a cult classic. Um, And it's everything. So, but Balakinwood, like, and Balakinwood is spelled B-A-L-A-C-Y-N-W-Y-D. Yeah, I would never. But I knew exactly what it was because (laughs) of Tu Wong Fu. I said, Balakinwood. I know what this is. So anyway, uh, that's where they were buried. In March of 2013, John Ruddy was laid to rest as well in the same fashion at the Church of the Holdy Family in Donegal, Ireland. So he actually was sent back to, his remains were sent back to Ireland because they were able to find his descendants. Mm -hmm. 
Seven were finally laid to rest, but the remains of other immigrants remain underground somewhere near the area. There is a large Celtic cross and monument with the names of all the victims to serve as a reminder to everyone that these dark buried secrets and injustices always seem to come to light, whether it's 20 or 200 years later. Wow. And that is my story of the 57 Irishmen at Duffy's Cut. Which was told as a ghost story yeah. every year at this Thanksgiving. Isn't that, Be- that's crazy. Yes, because this man saw these ghosts, you know, or thought he did. So this is like the grandfather's like creepy Thanksgiving yeah. story. They saw them dancing on their graves. And then it's like, wait, but what's really going on here? And come yeah. find out there's this whole cover up where these men were murdered. Murdered. And then some of them got cholera probably but then they were all just thrown in a grave yeah and murdered and so now seven at least have been buried you know the way that they would have liked to have been yeah and um yeah and that was in pennsylvania so you know just another cover-up <laughs> in america <laughs> that was interesting you know how we do but yes i thought that was so neat and i was like i've got to tell this story so yeah I I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I hope you all did too. Yeah. Yes. What you got for us, Gary? So I found um, a few little. Um, it's murders, but it's not like murder cases that we cover because it's not going to be like in depth about you know everyone. But it's just like right. this little article I found and it's um titled No Thanks Five Notorious Crimes Committed on Thanksgiving Day. Oh, okay. Yeah, so a little synopsis. Yeah. Synopsis. So that's what I'm gonna read you all. So I guess I will just go ahead and jump on into it. Diving girl. Okay, so the first one is Omaima Nelson. Okay. The model who killed, castrated, and ate her husband for Thanksgiving. Yes. So, this is a pretty, it's a pretty big case. Yes. I feel like. It's a little gruesome. I almost didn't want to talk about this just because, like I said, it's an article and it's not like in depth on each thing, but Deidre said I should go ahead and do it, so I'm going to go ahead and do it. Yeah, go ahead and, and tell the story. I mean, we can still, I mean, if we wanted to. Oh, yeah. You know, because yeah. there's like a whole lot more to it. But anyway, so on Thanksgiving Day, 1991, Egyptian-born fashion model Omaima Nelson, 23, repeatedly plunged a pair of scissors into the chest and stomach of Bill Nelson, her 56-year-old pilot husband. Then she reached for a clothing iron. Oof. As Bill failed, Omaima pummeled him to death with the iron until the heavy object actually broke in her hand. Wow. Okay. Imagine, just imagine the force that it would take for that to happen. Yeah, for you to break an iron. In your hand, like, beating somebody. Crazy. Ugh. Omaima unleashed her fury, she claimed, over the sexual terror and other abuses to which Bill had subjected her. Acts that reportedly included him pimping out his glamorous bride to kinky old creeps in exchange for rent, cash, and, in one case, a car. 
Mm. When Bill finally expired, that's terrible. Mm. Omima butchered his body on the kitchen floor. She then boiled his hands in oil. I said that right just for y'all. Oil, because I say oil. (laughs) (laughs) To remove fingerprints and stuck his head in the freezer so she could later break out his teeth. In symbolic revenge, Omima made a point of castrating her husband as well. Ooh. So. Yeah, I forgot all the things that happened. I mean. On Thanksgiving. On Thanksgiving. On Thanksgiving. Like, did you let him at least, like, get his belly full? Like, No, she did not. It's not sounding like it. Oh, me. Oh, man. Yeah, we'll have to dig into that one because there sounds like there's obviously a lot of potential trauma and yeah. some kind of psychological thing going on. You know, you're like boiling mm-hmm. people's hands. Ah, and why were you trying to get rid of the fingerprints if... Yeah, I don't... Like, I don't, who else would have... Uh, anyway. Yeah, a lot of questions. <laughs> so, the next little s- snippet snippet um, oh. is... Don't know how to pronounce the last name, but we're just going to... See what Deidre thinks. Um, <laughs> Paul Michael Marriage. 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 A Thanksgiving massacre 20 years in the making. Mm. Wow. On November 26, 2009, South Florida resident Paul Michael <laughs> ate a hearty Thanksgiving meal with 16 family members and friends, conversing and joking and even joining in sing-alongs. Hmm. After dinner, Paul whipped out a handgun and executed four relatives, including his cousin-in-law, his twin sisters, one of whom was pregnant. No. And his cousin's six-year-old daughter. Afterward, Paul reportedly said, I've waited 20 years to do this. Paul fled the scene but was captured and eventually cut a plea deal for seven consecutive life sentences to avoid the death penalty. Oh, I was going to say, what kind of plea deal did he get killing all these people? Oh, no. No, I don't even like to look at his face. She just showed me a picture of his face. Sometimes, and it's just like the 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 guy who killed the people in the movie theater. His eyes. Yes, the eyes. I can't look at them because Mm-mm. it's something about them that just chills me to my bone like i can't look at him Mm-mm. that guy isn't as bad but it looks yeah he's mm-mm. yeah like he's just I, as bad but yeah i mean he doesn't his eyes don't look as scary and you'll see it because i'll post the uh, these pictures on there for yeah. each little s- snippet <laughs> yeah. i never i don't know why i can't say it so the next one is here we go <laughs> a Yilis clay oliver and I'm just going to call him Oliver because I don't know if I said his first name correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, it's A-Y-A-L-I-S. So, Oliver. Colorado father kills son over unfinished Thanksgiving chores. What? Mm. So, the annoyance Oliver, 76, felt towards his son Keith Oliver, 49... Over the younger man's refusal to help out around the house escalated to homicidal rage on Thanksgiving Day 2009. Mm. 
The father and son had reportedly been arguing for hours prior to Marjorie Oliver, 75, Oliver's wife, and Keith Oliver's mother asking her son to leave. He refused, like, you should have left, but I'm sure he didn't think his dad was going to kill him. Right. So his father went upstairs, retrieved a... 357 caliber revolver and shot Oliver to death. Oh my gosh. Shot Keith to death because I've been calling the dad Oliver. Yeah. But yeah. I was like, dang. But like, over. That's just, that's just what gets me is just like little stuff like that. Yeah. That you can just. Let me just go get this gun and kill him because he getting on my nerves. Like, that's... I don't know. Yeah, no. That means there's something else going on there. Like, what was yeah, happening? Yeah, there's got to be... Yeah, you don't just haul off and kill somebody over chores. Because, I mean, it took the other guy 20 years to do that. Yeah, you know? and he said 20 he years to do 20 this. 20 years. And then those kids... There was a six-year-old child. Yeah, So, you weren't waiting 20 years to kill a six-year-old child. Exactly. That's why I was you like, know? what? Like, why? Oh, anyway. So, the next one is titled, A Man's Home is His Castle, Brian David Smith's Thanksgiving Day Murders. Mm. So, this one's a little longer. It's got a few more paragraphs than the others, but anyway. So, David Brian Smith, a retired security engineering officer with the U.S. State Department, had dealt with his Little Falls, Minnesota home being burglarized, burglarized several times in as many months. He installed an alarm system complete with video cameras aimed at several areas around his house. Then on Thanksgiving Day in 2012, he sat in his basement with a rifle and waited. The video from that day captures Smith moving his truck from the driveway prior to the break-in to make it appear as if he weren't home. Then an hour later, two teens in hoodies can be seen casing the place before entering the property. The teens were Haley Elaine Kiefer, or Kiefer, 18, and her cousin, Nicholas Brady, who was 17, both who were unarmed. Smith had suspected Kiefer and Brady of having been responsible for at least some of the earlier break-ins, and they were later suspected of a robbery or they were later suspected of a robbery of a retired school teacher that had occurred earlier that day. Mm-hmm. While Smith sat in his basement awaiting, he had a tape recorder running. There are hours of audio recordings that document his time lying in wait, complete with the sound of breaking glass and the ensuing confrontation. The audio, the audio captures the shots fired in Smith's statements during and after the killings, including, I refuse to live in fear. I am not a bleeding heart liberal. I felt like I was cleaning up a mess. I was doing my civic duty. I don't see them as human. I see them as vermin. Incredibly, despite the two dead bodies in his house, Smith wouldn't actually call the police until the next day, <gasps> stating that he didn't want to bother them because of the Thanksgiving holiday. I've heard this story before. Yeah. I don't remember. I don't think it was on a podcast. I think it was on... Um, one of the shows that they have mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i've heard of it. i've heard about it but yeah he's like oh i didn't want to you know oh so that was nice of you yeah like what about these two children who are laying in here whose parents are like where's my child 
I mean, hopefully they were like, where's my child? I mean, if they're breaking into places, we don't know what their situation is. But how horrific. And, you know, like, why does everything have to be so political? Like, Mm -hmm. you're not a bleeding heart liberal. Okay. So, but... So are you saying because you're conservative that now you're just going to murder two children because they... Exactly. You know, and I mean, and they did break into the house, so they were doing something wrong. But you literally set a trap. Yeah. You were like, okay, I'm going to pretend like I'm not here and I'm going to wait for them to come here and I'm going to kill them. It could have been a different trap that wouldn't result in him killing them. Right. Like, leave the trap. A trap to get them caught. Yeah. Say, these people have been bothering me. Why are you killing them? Oh, and I was going to tell you, the picture that I had showed you all ago was not the one... Um, <laughs> that wasn't him? No. This is the guy that killed his family. I'm still not and, crazy about it. And the man you saw was the one that killed his son. Oh. Yeah, but still his eyes. Yeah. <laughs> so, and this is the guy that killed the two teenagers. Mm-hmm. So, that was three. Was that three? Yeah. So, the fourth one... No, the fifth one. That was the... Okay, so Shanika also stabs half-brother in neck with serving fork over Thanksgiving dinner. What? Thanksgiving 2012 turned gory for celebrants. Is that how you say that? Yeah, celebrants. Celebrants gathered at the home of Shanika Alsup 27. In the course of a sibling spat about the food being served, Alsup stabbed her half-brother, Deontay Antonio Wallace, 23, in the neck with a serving fork. Wallace survived, and Alsup went to jail for first-degree assault, second-degree assault, and reckless endang- endangerment. I'm glad he survived. Um, yeah, jeez. What were they fighting over about the food? I mean, I don't know. He get the last <laughs> egg or something? Yeah, like, let's just eat. <laughs> Can we eat, please? Can we please just eat? Gosh, thank God he's alive. How traumatic for these people. Crazy. You just sitting, you just sitting at Thanksgiving dinner and someone gets stabbed in the neck. So, that was the last one of that one, but I also had another article because I was going back and forth between doing that one or the other one. And I decided to do that one, but there's one on the other one that I want to do because it is the guy family Thanksgiving in Knoxville, Tennessee, 2016. Oh. 28-year-old Baton Rouge resident Joel Michael Guy Jr. traveled from Baton Rouge, Louisiana back home to Knoxville, Tennessee, where he reunited with his three sisters and their parents over turkey and stuffing. At the end of the evening, the three daughters, who all lived in Tennessee, returned to their homes. Guy Jr. was left alone with his parents, Joel Guy Guy Sr., 61, and Lisa Guy, 55. That's when the violence erupted. At some point between Thursday night and Monday afternoon, the Knox County Sheriff's Department claims Guy Jr. stabbed and dismembered his parents, then attempted to dissolve their bodies in a mix of drain cleaner, sewer cleaner, hydrogen peroxide, and bleach. Ugh. So Guy Jr. was an undergraduate and still dependent on his parents for financial support. Family members told authorities that his parents intended to tell him 
of their plans to scale back support over Thanksgiving weekend. As of March 2007, Guy Jr. is being charged with two counts of first-degree murder, two counts of abusing a corpse, and two counts of felony murder. He has no history of mental health. He has no history of mental illness and no prior criminal record. Gales says that shame around the money likely played a larger role in the killing than the money itself. The conversation had a lot more than, we're not paying your phone bill, Gail said. I suspect there was a shaming component to it, and that triggered his behavior. Mm-hmm. If you dig into the psychology of family violence, the more common underlining psychological factor is shame. As of the original publication of this article, Guy Jr. remains in jail in lieu of a $2 million bond. His next court date is November 30th, 2017. I was like, I feel like I've heard of that. The names sound familiar. The names? Yeah. But I mean, why do you think that you can attempt to dissolve human flesh? Because he's young and he's not a true crime person, obviously. (laughs) Not to make light of the situation, but but I'm just just saying, you know, we all know. I was like, wow. At this point what would need to be done and we aren't going to do it because we're not murderers we're not going to do that right (laughs) so that was the last one that i'm going to include on that okay well i think those were good those are intense so everyone (laughs) if you feel that you want to do anything like these people did just call call your therapist immediately and if you don't have a therapist Get on a waiting list to see a therapist. Yes. Um, yes. Because, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, yeah, you've killed somebody, but you're ending your life, too, because you're going to go to jail. Yeah. You know. Why so. wouldn't you want to just be free and be <laughs> able to go do stuff? And yes. You want to go bowling it three o'clock in the morning just go bowling <laughs> just do it then you can go bowling i mean you no can, bowling in jail i mean you don't get prison. fast food in jail you can't go out it's concerts you can't <laughs> like i don't understand like oh. I don't know, which i mean i know people go through stuff that like messes their minds up but i'm just like you you can't go you can't go to the movies no more and like watch a movie yeah you can't the- eat chips in your bed and you can't eat a whole cake because you're you just don't care just <laughs> yeah there's just, a lot of just you know. rethink just just think it through because yeah that's not that's not the best option no no definitely and there's always not. help that can be gotten you just have to want the help yeah and sometimes people and just know the resources to, be, to get the help yes because that's a very specific type of care that needs to be mm-hmm. you know administered for homicidal ideation there's a lot of people that are hurt in that process too that could be like your sisters that was your sister's parents too oh well yeah 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 Yeah, definitely so 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 hopefully you like the new thanksgiving (laughs) bonus yes sorry we had to put in our promote mental health um section as always, 
For sure. You can't um, sit on the couch in your underwear no more and watch a movie. <laughs> you're just like, well, all the things that you don't get. But at that point, your mind is in such a yeah. different place. Also, the holidays bring out a lot of different things and different people. The yeah. holidays aren't great for everybody. No. Um, so, hopefully, none of our listeners are one of those people. But if you it are. Could be. If you're one of those people, we hope that this podcast gives you a little bit of joy this yes. Thanksgiving holiday, for sure. And we hope you have a great holiday with your friends and family. Yes. Or with us. If it's just yeah, us, it's just that's us. okay. Yay. We're with you. Just I'll be there for you when the rain starts to fall. <laughs> hey. <laughs> okay. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, you can email us at ameliamotors at gmail.com. Yes, and you can go to our Instagram and look at the people, places, things, or just the artwork if we don't have anything to give. Um, at Insta, ooh, train. There goes the train. At a million murders, and we also have a Facebook page and a Facebook group. You can follow both of them. Um, a million murders, and I think that that's it. You all have a fantastic thanksgiving yes and thanks for tuning in and we hope you come back for a million million more Bye. bye thanksgiving